This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Just a moment. Say hi, everybody. Hi. Hi, everybody. Great start to a class. Yeah. <laughs> Shalom, everyone, and welcome to Practical Spirituality here at Asia Torah. In the old city of Jerusalem, overlooking the Temple Mount. What's going on now is uh, we are we are moving our way into the high holidays. When does Slichas start? Slichas are, are they starting? This month's Shabbos. Yeah, Sephardi that started like way back when, but they, uh, the we start Motzi Shabbos, right? So Ashkenazim are starting now. I guess we don't like Slichas as much as Sephardim do. You love them on the other. Anyway, what's that? We don't need as much. <laughs> it's troublemaking. <laughs> anyway, I mean, I don't know why it isn't like everyone's most exciting thing in the world is to spend two full days in synagogue. Yeah, but it, it is. It does make sense that that a lot of people really do not like the high holidays very much. So uh, you you got a nice spot right here, by the way, brother. So I, it's understandable. And the way to best understand it is just watch the way people pray during the week. The way people pray during the week is generally like as fast as they can. And they also, um, observant Jews have perfected the ability to speak while inhaling. Like, for example, while I'm speaking right now, am I exhaling or inhaling? While, I'm, while the sound comes out, what am I doing? I'm exhaling. You, can't, you cannot create really sound without an exhale. But observant Jews have figured out the amazing art of speaking while inhaling. So it sounds something like this. Okay, so it's like. So, so what happens is, and the answer is, if you whisper, I mean, most people, you know, like Gentiles, when they whisper, they do not inhale while they're whispering. But we figured out a way to inhale while whispering, and and what that does is it allows us to get in and out of synagogue in half the time. Because while you're exhaling and inhaling, you're just extremely economical with your words. And you can just send them out. But it also becomes impossible to concentrate because no one can concentrate at that speed. The human mind just doesn't go that fast. And so, well, if I can't concentrate on what I'm saying, well, my mind's always somewhere. I mean, have you ever thought of nothing? Can you think of nothing? You can't ever think of nothing. Our brain doesn't go there. So, therefore, you automatically have to be thinking about something other than the prayer. Which is pretty interesting. You get that? That's pretty trippy. That if you pray that fast to the speed that your brain won't be able to keep up, so your brain's got to go somewhere because the brain never thinks of nothing. So it's automatically going to think about something else other than the prayer. Um, but I'll give you one trick. If you just are someone who can't stop doing that, you can't stop doing the speed of light prayer, um, it might make sense for you. If you got to put your brain somewhere, put your brain on God the whole time. Meaning forget what you're saying and just, you know, sputter. And, and But have your brain on God the whole time. This is why the word kavana, kavana means to align. Even with a car, like if I bring my, if I bring my car to the body shop or the, the mechanic, because I need alignment on my wheels, I ask him for kavana. I ask, please do kavana. The word kavana in Hebrew usually means intention or to focus on the words you're saying. That's the word kavana, but it really means to align. And, uh, and, you know, Americans who move to Israel, they have all kinds of funny ways of speaking to Israelis. 
So, like, I mean, I'm really, you're not supposed to ask them for Kavanaugh for your car. But, uh, but American observant people will ask for Kavanaugh for their wheels. Can you please give my wheels Kavanaugh? And the, uh, you're really supposed to say, L'chaven et the gagalim. But we say, uh, I need Kavanaugh for my wheels. You know, we also say, uh, like when the cab driver says, uh, when will you be back? If we ask the cab to wait a minute, he says, when are you coming back? We'll say something like, Bim Ravi Aminu. You know, because it's said in the speech, in the prayer of Bim Ravi Aminu. So, like, we tell the cabbie, well, uh, uh, soon in our days. You know, he's like, what is that supposed to mean? Bim Ravi Aminu. But uh, since we're on cards, it is one funny thing is how Israelis always have to, like, use English for certain things. I mean, technically, they're stuck. There's no biblical word for a back, back axle of a car. Now, but of course, they can't call it a back axle. They have to call it a back axe. Yeah? So the back axle is called a back axe. Guess what they call the front axle of a car? Front back axe. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Ask your cabbie. The next time you're in a cab, ask them what... what's ask them, what do you call the axle in the back of the car? They'll say, back axe. And what do you call the front axle of a car? He says... The front back axe. <laughs> so, anyway, the uh, so what happens is we lose our patience. Now, patience is the key to prayer. You pray with patience, you'll get somewhere. You pray without patience, you don't get anywhere. Can we always pray with patience? No, sometimes you do have to catch a bus, or it's like sundown's coming, or it's the last minute to say Shema, or whatever. You, you get stuck sometimes, which is fine. You We're doing it three times a day, so you lose one, you got two others coming. So there's nothing wrong with losing a prayer here and there to speeding. But, but in general, spirituality comes with patience. And patience does not come with millennials. Meaning we're, we're just not very patient people. So we've got to slow it down. And how do you slow it down? The way you slow it down is with breathing. You've got to breathe while you're praying. And do not breathe while you're, don't inhale while you're praying. Avoid inhaling. Okay, if you're in a hurry, it's fine. But otherwise, pray only on the exhale. So what, do you, what am I supposed to do while I'm inhaling? And the answer is, well, th- well think about, while I'm inhaling, think about the words you're about to say. I mean, isn't that what you do? Isn't that what I'm doing right now? Every time I inhale, as I speak to you, is me thinking about what I'm about to say. Well, why would prayer be any different? Pray when you exhale. And while you inhale, think about the words you're about to say. And the synagogue I'm part of, which does ecstatic prayer, which is a lot of fun. <laughs> That's it, as we just set up the camera. You go, <laughs> you're so you, normally, you should sit in the back of the classroom if you're going to do that. Like, you get the prime spot, only to leave in five minutes. Okay, enjoy whatever class you're going through. Or wherever you are. He's my very dedicated student, so he thought catching five minutes would be perfect. Now, um... I'm part of an ecstatic prayer group in Meisharim, which is like, you know, like where even the streets are like synagogue. And, the, and the, uh, what we do is we pray at the top of our lungs. Has anyone ever tried this, praying at the top of your lungs? You've been, have you been there with me? Yeah. You were there? Mm-hmm. We were together in there? Or you? Yeah, I have Friday And we went to there? Yeah. How'd you do? Did you belt it out or you were like yeah. first yeah. kind of checking it out? Uh-huh. Anyway, but the beauty of that is something no one would ever think of because it is pretty amazing to scream while you pray. You ever tried screaming while you pray? And when I say screaming, I don't mean 
any screaming you've ever done. I don't think there's a person in this room who ever screamed as loud as we go. I mean, it would have to be something really crazy to get you to scream like that. But when you're in a room with hundreds of men who are all doing this, it you find a voice. It takes a while. you got to warm up to it. But you find a voice that's just shockingly loud. And it's shocking. You guys want an example? Should I give you an example of how loud we can go? Now, I'm not warmed up, and I did not pray there this morning, and I did not pray there for Mincha. So I can't really offer you the full volume, but I can give you somewhat of an idea. <laughs> if I were warmed up, I would, I would give you a couple lines of it. But, uh, <laughs> this is so embarrassing. <laughs> Sometimes I wonder why I set myself up for these things. Again, I'm not worried about it. <laughs> Baruch! <laughs> I'm not worried about it. I can't do it. That was a Baruch. But, yeah, you have to be warm. I'll hurt my voice if I tried it now. Once you're warmed up, you're great. I mean, you can go for hours. It actually massages the voice, shockingly. Like, you'd think you'd lose your voice eventually. But as long as you warm up to it, it's like, a, it's like a vocal massage. We went Friday nights. I had spoken a whole day, you know, hanging out with people and singing and dancing and everything else you do in Nachlov. And then we finally went to uh, Shul, at which point I was warmed up. But uh, the morning is rougher to warm up. But we also, we use drugs um, to hit the ecstatic state. Uh, Shabbos morning, we, uh, what we do is we dose big time uh, for prayers. Uh, we st- we what we do is when we get to shul we hit the coffee room and we everyone drinks like <coughs> coffee way stronger than a human being should drink and you know coffee was originally a ceremonial drink it was not a public beverage that you you know can't start your day without you would join a ceremony for caffeine and it is extremely intoxicating at high high levels and it's um, and it and it can cause vision. Um, caffeine can cause cause a vision. When I say vision, I don't mean hallucinations. I'm saying it will open up parts of your brain that that make you more vision. Has anyone had the experience on caffeine where they got clarity that they wouldn't have had otherwise? Yeah. What's that? And then passed. And passed. And uh, did you were you at a caffeine ceremony? No. They also had chocolate ceremony. Chocolate was not a candy. Is, today it's kind of become in called cacao, which is chocolate. So 100% chocolate is called cacao. And they, cacao is a drug. And it was uh, part of a ceremony. That cacao, and they even had cacao with caffeine ceremonies. They would put them together where you go into this. When I say ceremonies, you're like in the jungle of Amazon in the pitch black tent with maybe a candle and, and like people on instruments and meditations going on while you're on caffeine and chocolate. Anyway, so what happens during our prayers and our ecstatic prayer service is we redose caffeine throughout the morning. So we'll we'll go back in and get another like strong double dose of caffeine because I'm tight. Right when it's really getting intense, and then we come back in and it's like, and you can't imagine how many cups of coffee are drunk there on a Shabbos morning. It's a it's a huge amount of coffee. You know, there, there's like a crate of milk because got to have milk in your coffee. We want to enjoy our coffee, so we so we have you know really delicious coffee. You don't take that nah, no, nah, we like to drink it. Yeah. And uh, 
and then, uh, but also the warm water soothes the voice as well, the, the hot coffee. But what, this is, by the way, a really long digression about ecstatic prayer, and that is that if you're, gonna, if you're going to say something at the top of your lungs, you need literally two to three, four times the air of a regular voice. You realize, when I screamed before the word Baruch, I was like, and then, right? You need a lot of air for that. Well, if you're pulling in a lot of air, it's going to take some time. So while you're silent in that time, you get to look at the line you're about to read and say, hmm, do I believe in that? Now, you wouldn't be there if you didn't. What are you doing in shul? So the answer is, yes, I do. And how strongly do I believe it? I mean, how big, a, how great, how strong a conviction is it, what I'm about to say? And the answer is, well, it's very strong. This is very meaningful to me. Now, obviously, different lines mean different things to you. So your, your volume's shifting throughout the night, throughout the day. Your volume's shifting in the prayers based on how meaningful it is. But every line is being expressed based on its meaning to you. And some prayers are so meaningful that every line's that meaningful. So you're just, you're bellowing and you're crying sometimes. You just break down in emotion. Now, that's a very different approach to prayer. You get that? Any of you here grow up with uh, praying three times a day communities? Anyone here was part of that thing? Yeah, it sounds a little different, right? A little different. Um, although, Sephardim have uh, something else they do, and that's a rhythmic, rhythmic, uh, they're hitting like rhythmic things that are going on in there. And those are ryth anything rhythmic is going to be meditative. And so they also take their time. They're very patient with prayer, Sephardim. And they, and they get into rhythms that are happening with each prayer. And that's also a really very healthy thing to be doing um, when it comes to prayer. Because prayer is meditation, and meditation is prayer. And Well, meditation is not always prayer, but prayer is always meditation. And, and, uh, and so get, hitting those rhythms is, uh, is really good. Syrians are big into rhythmic prayer. And also Syrians... What they'll do is a lot of the prayers are led by one guy sitting around the shul. Like one guy goes on this prayer and then another guy goes for that prayer and another guy goes for that one. Well, what are you doing in the meantime? You're just tripping out on God. Like you're not bogged down by any words. You're just like, you're just tripping on God while, while listening to the various chanting until it's your turn to chant, which probably is less powerful than just listening because now you've got to be busy saying it just right. So anyone have prayer groups where they did that, where they switch off? Readings. Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, they do it. Okay, now check this out. Ashkenazim comes sliding into home plate on Rosh Hashanah. Into home plate, and suddenly, like the way prayers are designed for Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, like they take the clock on the wall and they just toss it, and all of a sudden everything gets beyond patient, way more patient than he's farting out. And we're called Carliners. Carliners are the screamers. It's easy to remember how to go to Carleen because it's like a Carleening. And I'm part of a group called Pinsk Carleen. So it's like a pink car doing an S turn, meaning around the turn. So it's Pinsk Carleen. So the, but besides Fardim and, Ashken, and, uh, and Carliners, the um, regular Ashkenazim, who you can almost say are, are just getting through it as quickly as possible. Comes Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, they like hit the brakes big time. 
to the point where, like, just to say the word Baruch, they'll do something like, uh, you know, like, to say Baruch. You know how they say Baruch? It's like this. Everybody. Now, if you're OCD or ADD or any of those letters, you're ready to kill somebody. We're not even done. And then the leader is like, you know, and I mean, you're just really ready to kill somebody. And, and you're like, well, that was Baruchu. You know, what's going to happen the rest of the morning? You know, and, and it's just going to go like that for the rest of the morning. So, like, it's almost like they're doing teshuva for their prayers throughout the year <laughs> by, like, having one really long day in synagogue. So, one of the ways that, that we have to prepare, because we only got like a week and a couple days left, one of the ways we've got to prepare now is treating our prayers meditation till Rosh Hashanah. Because we're all going to be there. It's all going to be slowing down. So you're either going to be going out of your mind or you're going to be enjoying it. Well, someone who's into meditation enjoys the space. They enjoy it. You, after a while, you just kind of enjoy the patience. You like the space. So we have to treat prayer as meditation for this final nine days. How are you going to do that? Well, there's different ways to do it. One is get to synagogue early this year, this next week and do deep breathing and visualizations, God's name, talk to God in your own language. But by the time everyone's in there and starts racing, you're well on your way. So that would help a lot. Next thing is um, skip the repetition during the next week. When the leader's repeating, you know, and everyone's saying, Baruch Hu Shema, Amen, and then Baruch Hu Shema, Amen, skip that part. Just stay in your meditation, meaning, meaning only say your silent prayer while exhaling for the next week. No inhaling your, your, your Amida, your silent prayer. Only on the exhale, your silent prayer for the next week. Well, that's going to take a while. And so what's going to happen is the leader is going to wait till he sees 10 men came out of their prayers and then start, but you're not going to listen. You're not part of the repetition. You're staying in your prayers for the repetition. You got that? So that's another way that Rosh Hashanah will be a, a breeze and it'll be a pleasure, is that you're used to already standing a long time in prayer. You should be still in the middle. When he starts, you should just be getting to around the middle. So that way, by the time he's finished, you're toward you're at the end. Better, it's good to end with him. And uh, so that's another thing you might want to do. Another thing is to um, either before prayer, after prayer, or any time during the day, is to do deep breathing and uh, and meditation. Hey, there he is. That's the rabbi who collects for a poor family who. They eat whatever our group gives. I mean, whatever this class gives is what some family eats. So uh, everyone's welcome to give to this family after after this class. Uh, if it jingles, 
they drink. If it folds, they eat. Okay. Change causes drinks. Folding money causes fish and meat. So please, God, we'll take care of. How are we doing next week? Uh, so next week I'll make a bigger appeal because it'll be it's going to be Shabbos and then two days Rosh Hashanah. So hopefully we'll do better next week. And if you're watching this live or on tour anytime, please uh, feel free to kick down for them. And speaking of which, you're all invited to um, third meal this week. I, each week I do an open third meal in Nachlavo, in the center of town. It's uh, 100 Siv 11, right off Ben Yehuda Street. You just walk up Ben Yehuda, 100 Siv 11. And, uh, and it's also, um, also Sukkot. Everyone's invited to my sukkah. We host about 500 people during the week. It's live beer, live beer, live beer and keg music. Live music and keg beer every night. And, uh, and we feed about 100 people a night in there with cuisine from all over the world. Uh, because during the Sukkot holiday is when the Gentiles, the nations of the world, would bring their offerings to Jerusalem. And so they, that, that was like their special time to offer. So each night we have a different cuisine. Obviously the most famous night of our... Hey, obviously the most famous night... There are seats. There are, you know what? Let them sit together and join, join, the, join us up here. We got a table for two. He's, this gentleman is being a gentleman. Or grab that seat. Just grab your water. What's up, guys? Oh, you just, he just came all around. What's good? Oh, you have good news? For you? Oh. X-rays are clear? Mazel She's got clear x-rays. That's amazing news. Okay. So, we should continued good health. Okay, excellent. Does that mean you lose your... <laughs> so much for the medical card. Now, the... Um, two months, two months, okay. She's got her card for two more months, everybody. <laughs> it got applause. <laughs> That's cute. Okay, so... Yeah, it's even cuter that everyone knows what I'm talking about. So, anyway, the where are we at? Where were we just at? We were just talking about um, charity and circus and. Oh yeah, so everyone, everyone's welcome because we host like a hundred people a night, and each night's a different cuisine. And obviously, the most popular night is the Mexican fiesta, where we have burritos, coronas, tequila, and sombreros. Is it was it Tuesday last year? I don't remember. It's always. Whatever that night is, it's highly, you know, acclaimed. Each night's amazing, but that night's like goes off the Richter. And uh, so please join us for that. And also feel free to uh, pitch in. I'm going to be making a, what is it called? Uh, the Chesed Fund? What is, is that what it's called? Chesed Fund. I'm going to be making a Chesed Fund page for, for people to pitch in for that because obviously I don't have an extra $10,000 lying around for the Jerusalem Festival insane parties that take place in my sukkah. I just host them. So we'll be, uh, we'll be putting out a page online for that. Uh, where are we at? Is that, where we're at is that we need to get ourselves meditative and patient before Rosh Hashanah, otherwise we're going to be going out of our minds in the synagogue there. 
And I'll tell you something great about it is use this time to do that, but you'll see you'll keep going. You'll keep going. You're just going to fall in love with God. You can't not. Anyone who has patience with prayer and goes, goes into it in a deep way and, and gets involved with, uh, with uh, you know, the deep breathing and deep you know, approach to prayer, you, you just, uh, any, you, everything just falls away. You're just, you, you fall in love with God. You can't help it. Um, in fact, if they say that if you went and talked to God in nature, like you just got away from people, doesn't have to be in nature, but away from people, if you got away from everybody and talked to God every day for a certain amount of time, any amount, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, every question and every amount of doubt you have about God would go away, which is pretty interesting because that's not with any proofs. not like you spoke to someone about proofs of God, which Asia Torah is really good at proofs of God and stuff like that. But you could actually get beyond any questions just by doing that every day. It's a little strange. But it would be like as real to you as something proven. And, the, and we do have that ability called, called catharsis. Is when you have a catharsis. Sometimes catharsis is ineffable. The, meaning this ineffable means no words. Sometimes you can have a catharsis and there are no words for it. Yet you'd bet your life on it that it was real. And, and that it's like love. You know, love is a, when you love somebody and you, and you, and you uh, seal it in a bond of marriage, there's a catharsis there. Do they know they're for each other? No. How could you know? You'd have to, hey, look his back. You'd have to know the future. You'd have to know the future to know. I mean, you'd have to be like a prophet to know the person you're married is, is the one. It's not a knowing, but it's a knowing, and that's that catharsis is available for us with God. We can actually experience catharsis with God. But all it takes is us just putting in ours and stop waiting for some rabbi to impress you. Or stop waiting for some lightning bolt to hit you in the head. Or stop waiting for you know something really cool to happen that you're like, oh my gosh, there's a God. Like, stop doing that. You, you just put in something and you will get back double. Put in something, you get back double all the time. And now, I know a lot of people who say, well, you know, I was keeping kosher, and I was learning Torah, and I was praying three times a day, and then nothing happened to me. And so the answer is, is that, you, you, that that's the prescribed stuff. That's following a prescription. So, yeah, I also follow that prescription. But so much of my, so much of my effort that I put in is very personal. And when you put in something very personal, it, then first of all, the prescripted part of Judaism is just your pleasure. Because it's like, okay, if, if keeping kosher is keeping me from having too much static on the station, you know, on my radio station. So if you think about the dial on a stereo, like if you're listening to the radio, the dial that dials in the, the station, until you're dialed in, you hear static. Once you're dialed in, then you hit the volume knob. You don't want loud volume with static. It's not going to be nice for anybody. So till you dial in, you keep the volume low. Once you're dialed in, you turn the volume up. So there are two major knobs on every stereo. It's the station and it's the volume. And so what we do is when we're going to the station, we keep the volume somewhat down because the priority is to get a clear channel. 
So what is that knob? That knob is the negative commandments, the 365 prohibitions, the thou shalt nots. All the thou shalt nots in the Torah are you just getting out of the way so that there's no, there's nothing clogging your pipe spiritually. And so we have the 365 negative commandments, that's tuning in. Once you're avoiding all 365 negative commandments, so now I got my station tuned in, now I want to hit the volume. The volume is the positive commandments. I mean, I want to put on tefillin. I want to light Hanukkah candles. I want to light Shabbos candles. I want to make kiddush. I want to, I want to shake around the lulav. I want, to, I want to dwell in a sukkah. I want to hear the shofar. I want to blow a shofar. Because now I'm tuned in. But both the negatives and the positives are part of a prescription for people who witness Sinai, which made us highly susceptible, meaning Gentiles... If they hear a, a ram's horn blown or not, it's not going to make a big difference. If they eat pig or they eat you know, kosher roast beef is irrelevant to their spiritual well-being. They are not that sensitive. They were not at Sinai. We are that sensitive. So the prescription is super important. But if you think that's going to make you feel stuff, well, maybe it will. But I think a lot of people wouldn't feel anything. And raise your hand, none of one's on film, and only I'm going to see, really. But raise your hand if you're raised in the prescription and spent good periods of time not feeling anything. Anyone here raised in the system, spent good periods of time? Okay. And so, and so that's, be, that, but the, the reason that is, is you have not customized your relationship with God. God's extremely customizing with you. I mean, think of how much gets orchestrated all around you. I mean, you are, you are in full orchestrated mode all the time. I mean, the, the whole world is being orchestrated around you. So God's totally busy all the time around you. But we're, for us to customize our relationship back to God is meaning to have your unique relationship. That, that's something you've got you to gotta invest in. You've got you to put, put into that. And when you put into that, so you, you actually really have a relationship. You're in a real relationship with the Creator. Now, back to Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah, we're going to be blowing the shofar. And the shofar blast, if I can uh, illustrate the shofar blast, it looks a lot like this. The shofar blast look like that. Is a is the fan? Can you check the fans on low? I hear a lot of no idea. No, can you check the fan on low? It's the bottom right button. There's a little tiny button on the bottom right. Not that one. Yeah. yeah. Oh, thank you. Uh, that's high. Oh, that's high. That's high. No, it's a, our, our fan. The fan, the low. belt's a little broken in there, so it makes a lot of noise. So low is as loud as high used to be. Okay, thank you. You know, I turn it off for a moment, especially because we're talking about the chauffeur. It's still on. Oh, this. Yes. How many chops are in the last one? And the second last one again? How many what? Oh, um, it doesn't necessarily matter. What matters is the length. All the lengths are the same. 
they all have to be the same length. Now, important to note that this that the chauffeur blower does with his teeth, he puts his teeth in there, which I'm doing right now with my teeth, is not how to blow a chauffeur. <laughs> That's not, it's just that we don't know how to anymore. And so we're kind of stuck with, uh, we're stuck with that. It's really supposed to be a, um, I don't know, can I do this? Kind of like an ambulance. You know, it's like, it's something like that. Something like that, but even better. You know, without, because I'm closing my lips each time. Have you ever heard that? Because there are people who can do it. They're, they're called Yemenites. Because uh-huh. Yemenites are like a 2,500-year-old time capsule of, like, the original Judaism that left for the first temple. And then uh, when, all, when people came back for the second temple, the Yemenites kind of weren't aware of that. They just stayed in the deserts of Yemen. And then, uh, and then all of history went by while they stayed there. That's why, like, they still have the original pronunciations. Like, a lot of you think, well, why are Ashkenazim saying Shabbos? It's Shabbat. But it's not. Neither the Ashkenazim nor the Sephardim are right. It is not Shabbos, Shabbos, and it's not Shabbat. It's actually Shabbat, which is really funny because English, it says Sabbath, which is right. Meaning the S part isn't right, but the TH is right. When you have a tough without a dot, it's, it's a th, the th sound. And also a gimel without a dot is a jimmel. Bre pri ha It's bre Which makes all the sense in the world because Hebrew obviously... Jaffin. Hebrew obviously hits every... It's going to hit every exit of your mouth. Well, one of the exits of your mouth is a J. Or a G. And so where is that for Ashkenazim and Sephardi? It doesn't exist. There's no J. So, but when you take the dot out of the gimel, you get the J. And one more thing, and when you get the taf, because we are, how many tafs do we need? We got taf with a dot. Sephardim say taf without a dot. And then you get tet, which is the same sound as well. How many of those do you need? So, so, and there's no th, but there is a th. The th is, which is a big, you know, th is pretty popular in, in many languages, and especially in English. And the, but the th is there. It's the tough without the dot. Now, by the way, please don't walk out of here starting to tell people good Shabbat. Yeah, they're going to start wondering about you. You know, you start saying that. A Yemenite? Syrian. That's how they say it. Syrians, they say it. Most Syrians don't say it like that, but okay. So you had a question. What's yeah, your name? Spencer. Spencer, yeah. If that, that the Yemenites have the correct pronunciations in a lot of words, why don't all Jews adopt those pronunciations? Or why don't we learn to blow shofar? The way Yemenites do. I think your son knows how to do it. Rabbi Nekamar, I think, knows how to blow shofar like that. I think so. So um, the answer is that when you've been doing a certain tradition for thousands of years, you don't mess with it. That's basically the answer. But there are people who like, there are Ashkenazim who like buy two esrogs. They'll buy their esrog. That's part of the regular traditional esrog. But then they'll like go out of their way to find a Yemenite esrog. And so even though they make the blessing on their estrog, when they get home, they grab the Yemenite estrog and just at least shake it around a bit, you know, just to make sure. And, uh, and I know some people, when they say Shema, 
where you do have to pronounce things right, Shema, you know, all the way through those three paragraphs, that then they start pronouncing things right. You know, then they'll pronounce things Yemenite till the end of Shema, because there the mitzvah's saying it. So if I got a mitzvah to say it, so I'm going to say it as it was originally said, you know, which is the mitzvah. Anyway, but, uh, but the original sound was more of a, um, a wail, like someone wailing, like sputtering out from pain. And so let us look at the sounds of the shofar here. This sound, where everything's just cool and good and beautiful and awesome, which is the way anyone would like to hear. Anyone would like to hear a song. And it also, the word is what? Tikiyah. And what does tikiyah mean? Tikiyah means uh, like a stake, your tokea, a stake into the ground. So tikiyah means it's like in. It's like set up forever. Like if you drive a stake in, it's not going anywhere unless someone uproots it. But otherwise it's in. So that's tikiyah. Now, the next one, so this is called, this is like, this is called tikiyah. It means like a stake that's in, driving a stake in. And then the, the next one is called shvarim. And shvarim means broken. It means shever, it's broken. And it is, look, it's broken. It's like, ooh, 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 broken. And why? Because you're broken. You've been broken into, you've been broken into smithereens. I mean, you're, you're broken in a million places. I mean, how broken are you? You're very broken. You may not know how broken you are, but you're broken, man. Because I'll show, we could show a little video of you as a two-year-old. And just see when you were whole, when you were tequila. And how much energy you had, and how much love you had, and how much you could cry, and how much you could laugh. How much you could love and 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 be excited and experiential and you were wildly alive. I mean, it was the, definitely your best time. Now you're like you like you, you walk around like you're 80, even though you're, you know, whatever. whatever. How old are you? You're 19, but you're going on 90. And you're in energy level, in enthusiasm, in experiential living. You know. And when's the last time you, your mind was blown by a bird flying by? This is a good guy. I like this guy. Every day. So that's the childlike mind. That's Takiya. And then, but there's also little children like that, as long as their parents are normal, are experiencing tremendous love. There's like love. They're being held all the time and coddled and loved. And it's beautiful. But later, another kid's born, so you're kind of like put on the side. Spotlight moves to your newborn, and you're just chopped liver. And then suddenly you realize, like, you're going to have to start impressing people if you're going to get anywhere near what you got. I mean, if you want to get back to what you had, you're going to have to start impressing people. But meanwhile, you're just, it just broke. The tequila broke into shvarim. But then, how do you get your way back? How do you get back? How do you get back to that pristine state? How do you get back to your tequila? Because in the end, we're going back to tequila. So how do you get back there? And the answer is? Truah. Truah. Well, truah, it means to have like a major 
cathartic wake up, like major, like spontaneous combustion emotionally, like full on, like, you know, where someone's just holding you and you're just like, and you're just like falling on the ground and like completely wiped out. Much like the group of 23 Israeli women that I facilitated their meditation last night. As I, I'm in the middle of uh, working with a group of 23 women for this week. So last night we did our, last night we did our teruah work. And the funny thing, I didn't even tell them. I mean, I should have used the chauffeur blast. I haven't even mentioned chauffeur in there, but tonight I will. Because they're coming back tonight for four hours, four and a half hours. And we'll deal, I'll let them know that they've been in the middle of, they're in the middle of Rosh Hashanah right now. And they're, they're like right here. They're all in teruah. They finished Teruah last night, but some of them will still be in Teruah for a day or two. And, and then finally, once you've cried it all out, and you've just... You, you know what you've done? You've, you've, um, you've dropped your composure. Like, all of us... Yeah, you can turn the AC back on. So, all of us... Just make sure the fan's on low. So, what happens is our composure... You lose all your composure. Like a prophet. You know, a prophet, always, a, every prophet besides Moses and Samuel, Shmuel, every prophet lost composure. They fell on their face. When a prophet was prophetizing, prophetizing. Only, a, only a Jew would say that. When a prophet was prophesizing, he would fall on his face and be convulsive during the whole experience. He was in full convulsions when he was prophesizing. So this kind of, this is convulsions here. This is going into convulsions. Now, were any of you planning on going into convulsions, greeting the king on Rosh Hashanah? This, this coming, anyone planning on convulsive crying? This Rosh Hashanah? I wasn't planning on, well, probably not planning on it, it may be better, because you might psych yourself out and miss it. Convulsive crying is the goal. Not that you should make it too big a goal, because again, you could psych yourself out and not have that happen. But you want to get to convulsive crying on Rosh Hashanah. Now, what are the chances anyone in this room is going into convulsive crying on Rosh Hashanah? Maybe a few people. Maybe, do you go convulsive crying on Rosh Hashanah? He does. Yes, I also do. <laughs> I go full convulsive crying on Rosh Hashanah, because that's the job of the day. Like it's, It's like... That's what we're here to do, is that we've been numb. I mean, think about it. I'll just, maybe I'll close with this today. And there's also this rabbi's feeding, going to help feed that family, which is amazing. So we'll, we'll do a couple of that. But in closing today, Rosh Hashanah is like double, double day of clarity. It's like full clarity. He's the king of the world. There's these chauffeur blasts set up to like wake you up. And you're like, God's the king of the universe. Then you got seven days of like working out your stuff between you and your fellow Jew or whatever and like doing more deep tshuva. Then you get to Yom Kippur, which is like, God's the king again. Like, God's the king. But Yom Kippur's more like, where have I been? Where have I been? You're probably wondering, I'll talk about this more next week, but you're probably wondering like, shouldn't we do the cleaning up part before the new year? Like, why are we going into the new year with all our schmutz? Why are you going to New Year with your schmutz from last year? Shouldn't Yom Kippur be before Rosh Hashanah? And the answer is, you wouldn't be able to clean up your schmutz 
without a spotlight. And there's nothing like making God king for two days to spotlight the schmutz. You understand, when you get that clarity of God, suddenly it highlights your schmutz. Like, you know how there's like those infrared things that clubs like to see if you, have a, if you were stamped? You know, like Rosh Hashanah is the inf- infrared light that shines in from the king. And it's suddenly like you see your schmutz. But right now, we're on the other end of all that. When you leave Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, you're in clarity land. But after a month, two months, three months, four months, you know, Yom Kippur, Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur becomes a memory. And then it's six months, seven months, eight months, nine months, ten. Now we're, we're just like, God who? <laughs> Who's God? You went from like, God's all there is to like, God who? What's his last name? I never heard of him, you know, like Pharaoh. Never heard of God. So you need those two days. So when Rosh Hashanah comes, it's a two-day clarity festival. Two days of ultimate truth. Truth days, big time, ultimate truth days. Shalom, everybody. So uh, let's pass around a cup for this family. Uh, anyone want to pitch in? You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.